I'm going to open when you throw it to me, regardless of whatever mm-hmm. you say. My, uh, that's right, okay. Michelle. We'll f- <laughs> follow up with, um, whatever, we- Michelle. Whatever. <laughs> I didn't need your help, Michelle, with that intro. Um. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 127. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about asking for help. Today I had to ask for help. I hate asking for help. So begins an article on the website postpartumprogress.com titled Five Reasons Why Asking for Help Sucks. It seems like today there is no shortage of things that need to be done around the house, in service of family and friends, at work, the list goes on. But can we really manage it all on our own? And more importantly, should we? But first, the best way that you can support the Modern Lady Podcast is by giving us a rating and review on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews, especially on iTunes, can really help others who might be interested find our podcast too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to listener Kathleen at Your Biggest Cheerleader on Instagram, who shared one of her favorite episodes of the Modern Lady on her Insta stories and said, quote, Following my opening and closing routines makes a world of difference in the tone set for the day. I've discussed this episode before, but if you're interested in learning more, check out at the Modern Lady Podcast episode on opening and closing routines, end quote. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for sharing this on your Insta stories. We love hearing about which episodes have stuck with you, and that one is a particular favorite of ours too. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Welcome back to our little look into flag etiquette. Last week, we talked about flag poles and finials, and there is still more to go. Let's start with lowering a flag to half-mast. Well, this is done as a sign of respect and to, quote, express a collective sense of sorrow during a time of national mourning, end quote. And again, this is taken from Canada.ca. This tradition makes for a dramatic visual statement that strikes the hearts of all of the citizens of a country. In Canada, the flag is flown at half-mast upon the death of the Sovereign, the Governor-General, and the Prime Minister. It can also be flown at half-mast upon the death of the Sovereign's spouse, the heir to the throne, or their heir, as well as previous Prime Ministers, the Chief Justice, and our Ministers of Foreign Affairs, International Trade, and other political ministers, as well as Members of Parliament and our Senate. It is flown in this manner from the notification of death until sunset the following day and again on the day of the funeral. There are other special days when the flag is half-masted on federal buildings, like April 28th, the day of mourning for persons killed in the workplace, and days of mourning for the loss of life from terrorism and jobs in firefighting and policing. It is also flown at half-mast on September 30th, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, Remembrance Day, and December 6th, the National Day of Remembrance of Violence Against Women. It can also be lowered as a sign of respect upon the loss of life of international leaders, depending on their relationship to Canada. And finally, let's review the etiquette for how to properly dispose of a flag once it has become too faded or tattered. In Canada, if the flag is made of natural materials, such as linen or cotton, it should be burned in a private and dignified manner without drawing attention to what is happening. If it is a synthetic material, like nylon or polyester, it is not suitable to be burned, and so it must be cut into strips, each strip being a single color, if possible, so that it doesn't resemble a flag, and then the pieces must be placed in a bag for disposal. In the United States, a flag ready for disposal must be burned on a fire that is large and hot enough to consume the entire flag. The flag is to be placed on the fire and then people present must come to attention, salute the flag and recite the Pledge of Allegiance, followed by a period of silent reflection. Then, after the fire has been extinguished, the ashes are to be buried. One last interesting tidbit. 
the flag flying on the Peace Tower at the main Parliament building in Ottawa is changed every day. Canadians can request one of those flags to be delivered for free to their home. You can find the form on the government website. I just requested one and it did say that the wait time is exceeding 100 years though. So it's worth a try. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't know that. And I was thinking, I'm like, oh, I have to go put my name on the wait list. (laughs) Please do. be waiting for a long time. Isn't that so cool? I'm like, if none of us have mm-hmm. ever heard, like, who knows that? Who knows that? And has done all this work, like, researching flags. Um, and then would know, like, how was the wait list that long? It's shocking. Well, yeah, clearly enough people to last for 100 years of waiting yes. already knew about that. Yes. <laughs> they don't teach these things in school no, these days. they don't. <laughs> they don't teach any of this in school, right? Like, this has been, I don't know, I... This all started on a whim, right? A little joke. You and I are joking about flag etiquette. And uh, I have been blown away by the amount of information that we learned over these last three episodes. Mm -hmm. Author and speaker and unofficial mentor of this podcast, Simon Sinek, once wrote, quote, true strength is the courage to ask for help, end quote. It is true that being able to ask for help or even admit the need for help, is a good thing to cultivate in our lives. But the question remains, why is it so hard to do? Right, Lindsay? Oh, and it still remains. I was hoping when we finally were ready to record, we would be like, well, here's the answer. This is why it's so hard, and this is how you ask for help. But as you and I were having our pre-recording chat, um, Mm -hmm. we just kept going in circles. Like, we just, you know, kept uncovering different angles about this. And then at the same time, I'm getting flooded with awesome messages on my Instagram from our listeners who have their own thoughts about this. And yeah, so we don't feel like we're any further ahead uh, than we were when we wrote, what, probably 8,000 <laughs> words between us on this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really, like, I guess ultimately, if this episode sounds like just two friends chatting, trying to figure it out, that is exactly what this is. <laughs> yeah, this that statement has never been more true <laughs> yes. than in this episode. Yeah. It's like the, the onion of episodes, right? Like from yeah. Shrek, like so many layers. Um, we just kept peeling back like each one. And I know we were saying like, there are so many different factors and so many like contingent contingencies, like, well, what if this is the case yes. or what if that is the case? And it did seem like certain uh, factors would then even spiral into other factors to consider. So you know what? It it seems like such a simple thing, like what we were saying, like just ask for help. Yeah. But um, yeah, as we'll discuss <laughs> in this episode, it's far more complicated than that. The question is, does it need to be? And um, it yeah. And how do we start changing that? Um, one of the first things I looked into because I wanted to see are we ultimately more stressed than ever? Like, do we need more help? And it's really hard to think, yeah, of course we do. When you look at any period of history, right? Like you can look at any period and think there's no way we're more stressed now, but turns out we are. So according to the American Psychological Association, um, there has been a massive increase in stress in women over the last five years that are reporting stress. Now, what was really interesting is they also reported that stress is expressed and perceived differently by men and women. And it is also important to note that stress symptoms, whether they're physical or emotional, are more likely to be reported by women. You know, men still Mm -hmm. try to handle it all and don't speak about it. So we'll take that into consideration with some of their studies. Um, But they did see, they did find that Almost half of women, 49%, have reported that their stress levels have increased over the last five years versus 39% of men. Anyways, they did a ton of studies, and it was actually making me feel more stress <laughs> studying all about this. <laughs> but And I don't think this surprises anyone, but it just made me really step back and go, okay, <laughs> so clearly everyone's really stressed, and are people asking for help? Um And I think, why are they so stressed? I mean, I think all you have to do is scroll through our previous episodes. And we talk about that in little ways all the time, right? Social media, Mm -hmm. comparison being the thief of joy, our inability to relax, disorder and chaos in societies and within our homes. Um, But there is one thing that stands out. And I do think it's that we don't know how to or we don't like asking for help or accepting help. That really does seem to be the biggest factor here. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you're right. Because there is a lot that we can do on our own, right, yeah. um, to help. And that's what you're saying. Like, we talk about those things all the time. Yeah. And that those are great skills to have. Um, but the, it does seem to be a difference uh, between maybe people, like, even in the past. Mm-hmm in how they manage stress Mm -hmm. to now is like the external factors um, happening outside of your own person and the things that you can control. And you could be perfect and excellent at managing everything that you have direct control over in your life. But we're, we're not an Island, right? There are tons of different external um, factors and considerations and people happening all around us too that can contribute to how things are going in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that it's very clear that we're stressed. I I would still argue, are we more stressed than ever? You mentioned history. And so, so much of this Mm -hmm. was me digging back into history because I do personally find it really hard to swallow the fact that we are so stressed now when you have to look at any other period of history. I mean, women have always worked nonstop, right? From sun Mm -hmm. up until the minute they crawl into bed. Um, And I wonder, honestly, if it's basically impossible and ultimately not really helpful to debate whether their work historically was harder, in quotes, you know, than the lives Mm. of women today and working moms and stay-at-home moms. We would just talk in circles. Um, I know I'm obsessed with the farm videos. We talk about these all the time. Um, Tudor Monastery Farm, Victorian Farm, Edwardian Farm, Wartime Mm. Farm. And whenever I watch Ruth Goodman, the, the historian, spending a year in each one of those circumstances doing women's work in quotes. I know I couldn't do any of the things she's doing. Like it is absolutely exhausting. So I'm just saying like every time I dug further and further into history, I just kept asking myself, are we ever going to find the answer of like who had it harder? Right. We're never really going to know that. So looking into the history of homemaking is fascinating and exhaustive, and it's one of my favorite things, but there are just so many factors. That's what we've been talking about. But one thing is clear, where women spend their time, how they use their time is, is it's flexible. This is what I've seen. And I've seen Mm -hmm. this throughout every generation. And what I mean by this is that women are constantly, constantly reevaluating what the priority is that day and what changes due to money, time, available resources, and how they can outsource help. This is constant, mm. this, this reevaluation, this, this being flexible daily to the patterns and rhythms of life and how a woman should respond to that. So that's not new at all. Mm-hmm. You know, again, women are amazing creatures <laughs> and, I, and I'm yeah. constantly <laughs> amazed through every decade. Yeah. Yeah, in our unbiased opinion, yes. women are fantastic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know, as you were saying that, I'm wondering if work in this context, maybe it's not the same thing as stress. Like, mm. maybe um, in the past, because I know what you're saying, like, especially considering our modern conveniences right. with um, technology. Right. They, I think they certainly did physically work harder. Yeah. Um, but did it do we have more stress? Like maybe like that a is... different, yeah, different thing. Like yeah, emotional because... and mental stress, right? Than physical stress. Yeah. yeah, because and in our like pre-recording conversation, mm-hmm. <laughs> we were talking about like how standards would have been different even right. too, right? Like um, they would have before the advent of media, mm-hmm. um, in particular social media, but you would have just learned from the other people in your life what was to be done. You just had to get this done and this is the proper way to do it. Yeah. Um, let's use the example. We were using the example of making your bed. Uh, in the morning, you should make your bed. It's proper to make your bed. But we think make your bed and all of a sudden we see like the beautiful... <laughs> Yes. Beds of Instagram, which I know <laughs> I beds love. Of Instagram. I love seeing your beds on Instagram. I, know, I, I share a lot of a lot of bed photos, <laughs> and they're beautiful. Um, but I think that we're talking like specifically like magazines and adverts and stuff like that, right? All of a sudden, it's like, well, how many pillows should I have on my bed? Like, yes. what order should they be arranged? Should I fluff them? They're not fluffy enough. Like, yeah. what about does the palette match my wall color? Whereas before, it, um, the work is the same, is what I'm trying to say. You're still making your bed. 
um, but there's not all that attached to it in the past as I think it would be now. So that could definitely be a contribution to rising stress levels that's kind of uh, unique to our moment in history. Okay, so you make a really good point. And what I'm hearing is that it seems like the more knowledge we have, the more stressed out we get about things. And mm. I came across that actually in um, when around the Victorian age, as our knowledge of germs and cleanliness uh, increased, right? As there was more science mm. behind that, I actually learned that that really did increase the workload and the stress of the homemaker or whoever that they had hired because they really understood that a clean house and that proper nutrition, that these things prevented illness. And mm. right. And illness wasn't readily treated. There wasn't good medical care, uh, illness mm. that far too often took the lives of their children and their family members, right? So as their knowledge massively increased, uh, the demand for proper housekeeping among the lower classes too um, increased. And the thing is, the extra help available didn't increase. So we our workload right. increased, but it wasn't all of a sudden like all this extra help was available until the advent of better technology and machines and stuff like we have now. Another interesting thing I, I learned when I was looking at the history of homemaking is that it actually isn't new at all that some women would turn to convenience foods when they didn't have the time or money for fresh and homemade meals. We have maybe chicken nuggets today or every day in my house, um, and they had their own monotonous diets of bakery breads, not homemade, so again, store-bought bread salted fish and canned goods in the past um, are not so wealthy ancestors, which let's face it, were probably the ancestors of all of us, right? Um, who were just mm. like your middle to lower middle class um, people, families. They also had to choose between clean clothes, clean dishes, a clean house, and well-looked-after children. This isn't new at all. Um, I, mm. I think that that actually was blowing my mind, that they really also couldn't do it all, and they had to choose, especially because they didn't have the time-saving appliances that we had now. Like, washing the clothes was a whole day, right, from sun up mm -hmm. until sundown um, once a week. So they would have to then choose, okay, well, what am I not going to put my energy into on these other days? So I thought that that was fascinating too. We always think that we're the first ones who have to go, I have to drop the ball in this case, but nope, <laughs> families have been dropping the ball and having to prioritize on what they can do for far longer than we like to think. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. And maybe the difference in that case is that nobody else really knew about it. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Again, it comes back to knowledge and social media. You're absolutely right. Yeah, because I guess like if um, it, even today, like does anyone else know if I didn't get to the laundry? I didn't today. I'll just say it on the podcast right here is because we were recording today. I didn't do laundry. Right. If I didn't just say that, would anyone else have known? <laughs> right. And yet somehow I walk around thinking everyone knows. Right. <laughs> you and I were talking about this podcast that we've both been binging this week um, yeah. called Under the Influence by Joe Piazza. Okay, so we'll give a disclaimer. She uses colorful language. Um, you and I have both made the adult decision that this information she's giving is actually really not available anywhere else. And it's fascinating. So we've mm -hmm. both been listening to it. But one of the things she talked about in terms of influencers is that prior to the late 1800s, um, you never saw into the lives of people in different classes than you or around the mm -hmm. world, right? Like, except for if you were very, very poor and you were working in a very, very rich house, usually there wasn't a lot of cross-class um, uh, interaction visiting. at all. Visiting. <laughs> visiting. They weren't yeah. hanging out all together. Yeah. Um, and so she was talking about how when magazines were invented, um, I think she said the first one was Good Housekeeping and then it was Vogue in the late 1800s. That was the first time you got a glimpse into the class above you and mm. it changed everything. It changed how you wanted your house to look, what food you ate, how you dressed, how you styled your hair. And, and then she gets into influencing 
and social media and advertising and marketing and how everybody always wants to be that one step ahead. People don't generally want to jump to like mega rich. <laughs> I say that mm. laughing because I know everybody's, of course I do. But advertisers <laughs> know that people generally want to go to the next level above. That's the, you know, they believe that that's uh, mm. accessible and reachable. Mm-hmm. And so that how they advertise to that. But she was talking about and what how this applies to our topic today is that that was the first time they did get to see into these worlds. And then you and I were like, well, add Instagram, oh, literally a window into countless houses and lives around the world and how that then distorts our perspective on who has what, who has help, who doesn't have help, who does it on their own, how they do it all on their own. Uh, and, and then on top of that, this filtered, edited, curated life. Um, It's not just coming from paid magazines where you look at it once a month and put it down. It's every account you click on. So Mm -hmm. it's a distorted perception of reality that unlike anything we've ever seen before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's true. And like they're um, in that podcast trying to even within Instagram now, I think they have to like tag ads. Yep. Right. Like for those kinds of posts and things like that, even just to give the consumer the heads up. Right. Like yeah. this is le- more like more akin to those magazines yep. that you would read once a month as opposed to like another everyday mom you might run into at the grocery store or something like that. And f- somehow her life looks like that yeah. all the time. And you're wondering, what's wrong with me? Yeah. <laughs> like, why why can't I do that? How do I, how do I get there? And again, where this comes back to with asking for help is just that we, A, we don't have a good understanding of history and what women's mm-hmm. lives have been like through history. Um, so it's really hard for us to step back and actually think about that because we just don't know. It's not taught. And yeah. the domestic ha- history of everyday housewives is like the least recorded thing in history. Um, yeah. Well, they were busy. They were busy. <laughs> they, they didn't have a moment between hand washing the laundry to document. That. Right, right. Taking photos. I feel so <laughs> guilty about like taking photos of myself doing those chores now and thinking back to those women hand washing. No. Oh my goodness. It's no. And, no, this is okay because this is the process, mm. right? That you and I are talking about just honestly with, with our listeners here about as we're trying to work through these things. But yeah, so we have a very poor understanding of history and then we have a very poor understanding of our current reality because it's so fake. So when we step back and go, why can't I do it all? Where is my help? Where is my village? Where is my tribe? Um, Because we've also been told we all need a tribe. Um, And then we're like, okay, hello, tribe. Where are you? Um, I think the last point here that was so that we can really understand history is that really up until I would argue the 50s and 60s, most families had help, um, hired help because there were Mm. no labor laws. So you could exploit other humans um, for Mm. next to nothing and have them in your help. So from what I understand is unless you were the absolute poorest of the poor, you had Mm. help at least one person in your house helping. Now, that being said, again, this is where all the facets and all the, the disclaimers have to come in. Let's say you were the poorest of the poor in Victorian England and you still had one or two people helping out in your house. First of all, for them, that was the only way they could have a roof over their head and scraps to eat. So they were happy to have that job. Um, Mm. But the other hand, the women that needed that help, they often had more than the 2.5 kids that we're having these days, right? So they did have eight, nine kids. So they did need help. Um, Not saying, again, that we don't need help. But I just think that these are all parts of the conversation Uh, that you and I are trying to figure out. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's like we're trying to come at a problem with uh, skewed data. Yes. Essentially, right? And so it's really hard to come up with a feasible, logical, and rational solution when um, the input that we're getting is not even totally accurate um, and is like influenced by a lot of different things that may or may not be true. So I think it is important to look a little bit into historically what yeah. had happened and how was it done? And then like realistically, what is actually going on today? Um, and then trying to set our parameters around a little bit more realistic uh, guidelines. What I think we wanted to really zero in on is when this idea 
really came to fruition of, well, you need to be able to do it all. I think that's one of the things that's really different than these previous generations. Now, I asked my Instagram followers just this morning if how many of them need the, or have that feeling that they need to do it all. Mm-hmm. Overwhelmingly, 83% of you said you feel that pressure to do it all. But I really feel like that's only really come up in the last maybe two to three generations. Mm-hmm. So while I was researching this notion of thinking that we need to do it all, have it all, all of that, I started to wish that I could have this conversation with my great grandmothers. I wanted to go back a little bit further. So I did great grandmothers. Now, one was a farm wife with six kids. One stayed alone in England with her four babies, having buried a fifth while her husband found work in Canada. And he spent a long time saving the money, right, to send home for them to move here. Another one of my great grandmothers was the wife of a captain. Uh, He was the captain of a large shipping boats on the Great Lakes. And then my last great grandmother, um, she was dead by the age of 25 after having birthed her seventh baby. Uh, She is my indigenous great grandmother. Um, They lived up in the Muskoka region and in a log cabin built by her husband. Her sister lived nearby. Their husbands were loggers together. And so they were gone for half the year, way out into the wilderness without any communication, right? Never knowing if your husband's alive or safe. Um, Mm -hmm. Those two women, the sisters, they together raised a brood of dirty, barefooted children. I've seen a photo or two and they're in the middle of nowhere. And as I was reflecting on her and her life, I wish I could have asked her if she felt like she had to do it all. But then as I thought that, Mm. Michelle, I was overcome And I'm not trying to minimize this, but I was almost overcome with like the ridiculousness of that question because I think she'd Mm. just look up at me from whatever task she's doing. Filthy, right? This woman was filthy. They go, what the heck are you talking? I feel like I have to do it all. It just seems so nonsensical. Like it almost seems like it's a luxury Mm. to even have this discussion to stop and think about it. Yeah, that is such an interesting point. I am just like visualizing that. Mm-hmm. conversation <laughs> the bewildered look it's like, yeah what do, you like mean? What? <laughs> do I do it all I wonder if I wonder though if she'd look at you and say yeah of course I do yeah um but trying her to stay definition- alive here <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's like who else is going to do yeah. any of this but her all is different from our all yeah like maybe sometimes our what we consider essential or necessary mm-hmm. and so we would kind of group into that all right um would be nowhere even on her radar that's right <laughs> like, right. right like even decorating yeah like so having we're doing a perfectly decorated sometimes. your house yes. yeah it's like can i do it all in today's context yeah having a very well decorated put together curated house is part right. of the all right. um to her it probably would not be all <laughs> that's right like a, a 45 minute nighttime evening skin routine right like yeah i don't know if i can fit that in <laughs> it's like she'd be like what um so and like- then we were talking too about your grandmother and her yeah. tight family, right? Because then we start going, okay, is it a cultural thing to have family and friends nearby? Is it tight families? Was it the size of families? Is it because the families were so much larger? And then as families got smaller that we had to start looking for friends to help or like paying for help. Like, and I think your family is really interesting because there's like a cultural connection there too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My grand, my grandma, my maternal grandparents are from Macau. And um, so like my mother was born there and they immigrated when she was very young but my grandma they lived in a really big community of people who were very close like they lived in the same buildings they um, it was the same group of people who lived together worked together socialized together the kids grew up together um, and they helped each other quite a lot when they immigrated a lot of them all immigrated together at the same time and ended up in the same neighborhood on the same street mm-hmm. <laughs> like here in Canada and the the community I think was very very different and she always had people around to help but they had very similar cultural um, backgrounds very similar family cultures it was easier I think for them to help each other out Yes. And I think that the important thing here too, is that this didn't just happen. Like your grandma actively worked to create this community of her family and friends that she brought them over here. Like she helped facilitate that immigration of the people that her support circle here. Now I know not everyone can do that, um, but it didn't just happen. Like she made it happen. And I love that. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did host quite a lot of their friends and family that wanted to immigrate afterwards. Yeah. They were my grandparents weren't the first, but then yeah, like my mom says she remembers and and it was so important to them to help each other get settled and make it and thrive in a new place like I think that really forged a lot of close bonds yeah um that made it a lot easier also for them to remain close and when you're close I I think that helps the ability to ask each other for help yes and another complicating factor too is if we do bring in the village to help with our kids and and I'm talking you know asking our moms or mothers-in-law for help with raising our kids like then we have to figure out like how much are we open to their feedback <laughs> um, yes. on what we're doing and do we want to be criticized I am a controlling person I think this is one of the reasons I actually didn't want to let a lot of people in to help me because I just didn't want to hear what they had to say <laughs> so it's just mm. easier for me to like not do that. Um, and so I think that we have, that's just not something we're comfortable with anymore. When, when you and I talk about like uh, the community, like your grandmother's street with everybody being families on the street, you can imagine yeah. the kids all out running together and playing and aunt so-and-so and uncle so-and-so saying, Hey, Bobby, you can't do that right now. And everybody kind of keeping an eye on all the kids. You wouldn't go, yeah. don't talk to my Bobby like that. Right. Like you were, everybody yeah. was so used to everybody parenting like that together. So now we're like, don't you dare criticize something I'm doing. So it's like letting those people into your life too. Uh, are we in a place where, um, where we're okay with them seeing that? Because I mean, there's so much of that parent shaming and judging all over social media too, if you let those people into your life. So then I think we are putting a wall up around us uh, in that sense too, where we're just go, is it worth it? Is the trade-off of asking for help, building an intimacy with somebody, letting them into my life and opening myself up for potential criticism, is it worth it? Or should I just do it myself and not ask for help? Mm-hmm. And you can see how we just were talking in circles, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, and I, I know what you mean, because even um, thinking about that, like if there is going to be help, let's say you do have uh, close help, right? They, they are going to probably be involved in a certain capacity in your everyday life. Mm -hmm. If does, does it warrant um, a little bit of input if someone's going to be helping you so closely and yeah. intimately it can certainly be said kindly yeah. <laughs> and should be kind but I guess my question is are we so uh, defensive about it because it's been such an onslaught of opinion yeah. that we can't even like sort through what's legit input and where that trade-off is a bit more balanced like yeah I totally understand if as an ex anecdotally, like if my mom is going to be here helping me a lot with mm -hmm. the kids, does she then have a say a little yeah. bit yeah. on things that she may notice around the house? I think that that's probably really circumstantial <laughs> and personal to everyone's relationships. But it's not out of the question in my mind, though. Like it's a reasonable question to consider. And then when you consider that with our own personal experiences in the past of either offering help or not being offered help or not being able to receive help, where all of these things are being weighed, right? When it's a simple moment of like, do I call somebody and ask for help? Like it can be a very loaded question because mm -hmm. we are taking into consideration all of these things. Um, one of our, our listeners, Sarah, told us that, um, and she gave us permission to share this, um, that she had once offered someone help. She wanted to lighten the load. She wanted to do this act of love for them. And they flat out refused her help. And that really hurt her. And it did cause her to step back and say, okay, is this about me? Like, is this hurting my own pride? Um, mm. You know, I wanted to just extend this help. But those circumstances too, right? There are lots of people in our lives who have perhaps offered to help us and we've shut them down. You and I were talking and I think this is hard to hear, but the truth is um, anytime you go into any mommy group or so many things online, you see mothers-in-law getting bashed left, right, and center. It's really, really hard to see. And you just think mm -hmm. like, if this is also, so we're like, I need the help, but then we turn around and we are ungracious or nitpicky or grumbling about the help that we did or didn't get, or wasn't up to our expectations. Um, other people hear that 
whether we're talking about mm-hmm. it online or our children or our husbands. And they think, well, why would I help this person in the future if that's what they turn around and do after someone tried? Um, so our experience of seeing how the people that we love react to being helped, how they ask for help. So again, here we are talking and talking and talking about this thing. But to me, all of these factors really do lead into that one moment of, do I ask someone for help? Yeah, the answer is no, I don't. I don't. I just try to do it on my own because of all of these these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too, like another item on that list I was just referencing on walkingtheshoreline.com, um, it does talk about you know, feeling incompetent. Mm-hmm. If we feel like we can't do things on our own, we don't want to be judged. Yep. <laughs> right. Um, and then they do mention pride. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, that probably is a much bigger factor than we're, when that we're aware of, um, when we're considering needing help or reaching out for help, whether we want to or not. And there was a a quote by a Christian speaker named Joyce Myers, um, and she said that humble people ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, that kind of correlates with what we were talking about with uh, the vulnerability question. Yes, yeah. Right? Um, and uh, again, like, there is probably a whole list of questions uh, and quantifying that like criteria you have to go through after you ask that question but just the knee-jerk reaction that we have like oh I don't want to ask for help well why because I wonder if sometimes more often than not whatever it is will be rooted somewhere in pride I don't want their opinions um I don't want them to have a say in how I want to do things um yeah, just all these different considerations. So I wonder if even it could be a good first step to try to consider your need for help and why you might even be feeling hesitant to ask for it. Um, if it's not a lack of help that's available to you, perhaps it's one of the issues surrounding pride that could be um, like holding us back. Yes. And I think one of the things with pride is that we've often gotten the response of, well, you did this to yourself. And what I think is so fascinating, again, all we have to do is step outside of the present day and look at history is I'm sure that's what was hurled at the women in the seventies when they left the house and started to work. Well, you did this to yourself. You better learn how to balance taking care of those kids and working because you chose that. But what I find really interesting is that's hurled back a lot on like homeschool moms or the moms who have eight, Uh nine kids, right? And then have chosen to stay home. Mm -hmm. Well, you did this to yourself. How helpful is that to any woman who's made any decision, right? And so we have to yeah. make sure that we aren't the person doing that. Um, but just that that idea of constantly going, you're not worthy of help because you, of, of this, 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 whatever. Um, I read a quote from nerdycreator.com <laughs> hmm. um, that says, receiving is a part of life. It has nothing to do with worthiness. And again, this comes back to the, oh. yeah, being vulnerable isn't a sign of weakness. Um, yeah, that we need to learn to be good at receiving but it is really hard when so many of us have heard at one time or another, well, you made your bed, you lie in it. Mm-hmm. And I will confess that um, I have felt that starting to homeschool yeah, this yeah. year. I think I, I think I felt better about asking for help before we homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Um, like somehow I, my decisions made me more worthy yeah. of help. Um, I will say that that's something I'm realizing is in my, in my head. Like, I don't think anyone's actually said that to me (laughs) in my life. Um, But I'm wondering, like, why would I even think that? Yeah. Like, um, maybe it's kind of an underlying cultural thing that we we think collectively about anybody and the choices they make. And so that is a that is a really good point of like your your need for help is not dependent on whatever your decisions are in life. You you don't ask for things and that like disqualifies you from needing assistance. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Okay. So when I asked Instagram again this morning, like I asked the, and I put it in a poll, do you have trouble asking for and accepting help? Now, 88% of you said you do have trouble with that. 
12% said no. So I, then I turned it to the 12%. I'm like, okay, <laughs> those of you who have no trouble please with do this, share. Yes, please tell us. I said, was there something that changed for you um, in your experience that allowed you to be open to asking for help? And I loved the answers. They're so positive and lovely. And so um, mm. these people all gave me permission um, to share these stories. So listener and friend of the podcast, Jenna Crane, uh, she said, and I'm just going to read what she wrote. She said, I wouldn't say I'm great at asking for help, but I've gotten significantly better in part because I'm happy to offer help. So I know that I'm not actually a burden, that it all evens out. Also, I've had some significant mental health issues in the past, and part of it was brought on by isolating myself and not asking for help, seeing myself as a burden. So I know the dangers of not reaching out, and I just have to humble myself enough to reach out to those around me. Um, and I mm -hmm. thought there's so much in there, right? Um, it's that mm -hmm. I love the idea of knowing that you're also willing to help anybody. So why can't you accept yeah. it back? Right. Who out of all of us wouldn't actually say, yes, of course I'll help. But then, yeah, yes. we just have such trouble receiving it. Yeah. We're usually tougher on ourselves. Yeah. Right. Than yeah. we are on other people. That's true. And then Brandy um, at Banny Bungalow. I love this. I'm going to summarize it. She wrote a little bit, but she was just talking about like basically her temperament, her um, personality is very much type B. She's phlegmatic sanguine. She doesn't struggle with perfectionism. She's not a people pleaser and she doesn't feel a lot of guilt. And those things have all really helped her just be ultimately super chill. Like if somebody comes over to help, mm. she doesn't second guess it. She doesn't expect it, them to help in a certain way. She's just like, cool, thanks. Like it's just wow. awesome. Like she's <laughs> detached from it. And I love that. Um, oh. She goes on to talk about, you know, the the multi-generational communities that um, that our previous ancestors have had and how, you know, we all dream of that. Now, they have made the decision, her and her husband, and they recently moved to a small rural town and they're building that community for themselves there. Um, mm. She also just talked about when she had a friend who cleaned her entire kitchen while she packed herself and her kids up for a trip. And her friend was so blessed to be able to do this for her because someone had done that for her before and she wanted to pass that on to Brandy. Oh my goodness. That's all really beautiful. It is. <laughs> like, and then you and I, I came up with a quote, right? We were like, okay, so there's people say like, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then yes. healed people, heal people. And then we wanted mm -hmm. to add, it seems like helped people help people. That's right. <laughs> and we're just saying, it might, we'll put it in the merch shop. Yep. <laughs> okay. A, a new poster for your wall. We'll have the original quote and then our addition yeah. on the bottom. <laughs> helped people help people. <laughs> Yeah, but do you know what really stood out mm -hmm. for me in her comment, though, which I think is such a good point, is she used the word detached, yeah. or you used the, I word, used detached the word detached to describe that's what it. she seems like, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's a huge key to being able to ask for help in so many of the things we discussed mm. in the first part of the episode, is to be able to detach from what? From our All standards of, of perfection? Yes, yeah, the from history. The, <laughs> the criticism yes. the uh, like <laughs> the expectation of, of how someone can help according to our standards all of it like just detach from all of it <laughs> yeah and then just see what is see what it is see what comes of it i think that's i think that's awesome and then jenna jenna gernan who we i really do think is an unofficial part of this podcast we talk about her a lot um yes. she shared that and i'll just read what she said she said i think i realized that i needed to be this way during my pregnancies which were very difficult morning sickness wise i needed help and then i remember a time when i was asked to help a friend deal with an urgent situation and i felt so honored to be asked she goes these two experiences this quickly made me realize that people like helping when they're available. And I just have great friends who set an example by offering a tangible line, like, can I take your kids to the park while you rest or get some things done at home? Um, mm. So then she just goes on. She talks about when she suffered a miscarriage and she talks about the power of being prayed for. And that stopped me in my tracks because it's such a reminder for us as Christian women that that's also a way we can help if we can't physically be there. Um, you and I were talking about how when I've been sick or you've been sick or something's going on, you're like, can I bring you food? Or I'm like, can I help your, your kids or mm -hmm. whatever? But when we say to each other, I'm offering our rosary for you tonight, like I could cry even saying that right now. That's mm -hmm. such a lovely way to help someone else. If there's nothing else we can do, say that you're going to pray for them and then actually pray for them. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Like offering prayer for someone else 
it's so good because God is so good and he operates on so many different levels, right? If you're praying for help for another person, God will take that in however and however many ways that um, that person needs. Like, and it may surpass even the physical help that is available to a person in need, right? Um, You could pray for that person to be helped and then they'll send, like, it could mean like physical tangible help in the form of another person or a meal or something like that or it could mean like just simply praying for the grace to persevere through something that's challenging um or praying for perspective understanding insight as to what's going on um what's going to help me through this thing like prayer yeah we talk about this all the time in the podcast too but prayer is so powerful because it's directed to like we we think we want to help yeah like, yes. imagine how much more he wants to help yes. like god wants to help too and that's why prayer is so important and then we got another message from carla and carla wrote i remember being a new mom and wife when my husband got deployed i wanted to do it all alone and be brave but one day i got a migraine I had to admit I needed help. I couldn't take care of my three-month-old. I asked my friend to help watch and feed the baby while I took medication and slept. After that, it was like ripping off a Band-Aid. I was able to ask for help so I didn't drown. When my husband was finally out of the military, we were finally able to move back and closer to family. I'm able to ask, but I give myself limits so I don't take advantage. And then she just finishes by saying, we aren't meant to do it all alone. But what jumped out at me was the whole, uh, it was like ripping off a Band-Aid, right? It's like, just start. Mm -hmm. If you're not used to asking for help at all, I love that image because it does feel like that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And you can think in your head, like, I'm just going to ask so-and-so for help. But it like picking up the phone, Mm -hmm. there is like a, (laughs) like a struggle there. Like to go from point A to point B. And so I like that terminology too. It's almost like uh, you have to practice this too. (laughs) like, And it will get easier with practice. And speaking of that, uh, a woman named Karen also messaged me. And I love hers because sometimes I feel like I have a tendency to complicate things. Like this entire rambling episode of you and I (laughs) just going in circles talking about this. And Karen wrote, and I love this because she just said, I found I just needed to train myself to pause for a second and then answer, yes, thank you. And it became Mm. easier. So it's like if someone is offering to help, and I believe more people offer to help than maybe we think are offering to help um, or like to believe are offering to help. Um, And so if you have someone in your life that is offering to help, just that pause for a second and go, yes, thank you, period. That's it. It can be, Mm -hmm. it can be, it's not always that simple, but it can be that simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I love that. It's so simple, right? (laughs) It seems so simple. And I was thinking too, like how great it would be to let our kids see something like that on such a regular basis and really model for them how simple asking for help could be. Um, We often talk about like envisioning what our kids' lives will be like when they are in our shoes, when they grow up and have families and how much we really desire, even at this point, (laughs) before that time even comes, how much we already anticipate wanting to help. Uh, And not only that, but wanting them to have the kind of self-assuredness and confidence uh, and know-how to just acknowledge they need help yeah, and to ask for it. Um, so I think that's, I think that's a great tip, trying our best to um, figure it out, how it will look in our lives, asking for help, setting boundaries, but then like going forth bravely, yes. <laughs> like <laughs> confidently and doing it not only for ourselves, but also to help out um, model for the, the people watching yeah. that this, this can be something that's common and normal and fine. It's not like an indication of you as a person. Yes. I honestly feel that 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 reason alone, modeling it for my kids, is the greatest uh, motivation for me to ask for help. It is really hard for me to ask for help. I am very much a do-it-yourself, keep-your-mouth-shut type of person. But it was only mm-hmm. in watching my kids and as my daughters grew older and thinking about them becoming moms, I didn't ever want them to look back and be like, well, my mom didn't ask for help. Uh, she had to do it mm-hmm. all on her own. And, and because I know that also in doing everything on my own, like, 
I'm miserable doing that sometimes. I don't think be like, she did it all on her own and she was miserable doing it. And, and she loved it. Right, right. It's this whole like victim <laughs> martyrhood that we can put on ourselves too, right? And I was really guilty of that in my early years of being a mom. Like, I'm going to be a martyr for this. I'm going to. And I realized mm. no one's putting that on my tombstone. No one is putting, she never asked right. for help. Um, and then... <laughs> Right. I actually had to tell myself that years ago. And so then when I started to take it that next step and think, okay, then how do I practice this? Um, And then teach that they are watching, like we said, Mm -hmm. and they are, again, they're watching how you receive help then. So let's say you've done that step and you've asked for help and then your mother-in-law does come over and then she leaves and you grumble behind her back. They're watching that too. Um, Oh yeah. Right. So Mm -hmm. being really, really great at modeling how to ask and how to receive that help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. So that leads me into one of the tips I have here written in my notes, um, and that's to identify what you actually need and then be clear about it. Like sometimes what we actually think we need isn't what we actually need, right? Um, mm. It's amazing what one quiet hour can do. Uh, we think we need yeah. a whole vacation away, and sometimes we just need an hour. Um, and so I think that really stepping back going, what do I need right now? So here's an example, and you guys are going to think I'm a horrible person if you don't already, but I don't actually like when people bring us meals after I had a baby. Um, I'm a really picky eater. The kids are picky eaters. I feel like it ultimately, sadly, gets tossed out. Like, all of their hard work. And so um, Mm. when people ask me, I've learned to just be honest because I don't want them to waste their time and money and just say, actually, I'd love some coffees dropped off and like a package of cookies for Mm. the kids. Uh, We would love that so much. Um, Or the other thing is if people came over to help me in my house, um, it doesn't actually help me if they try to fold my laundry or clean up. That stresses me out. I'm one of the people who'd rather you hold the baby. And I know that's not the same as everybody Mm. else, but I know I'd rather get my cleaning done uninterrupted and have you play with the baby. Um, But it took me four kids (laughs) to realize that those are the things that would actually help me Um, and Mm -hmm. to not feel guilty about being a little bit more specific. Now, that being said, my next thing is to be flexible. So if that's not how it happens, to just be really, really thankful to realize that people tried that they're doing their best. Um, it might not be exactly what you needed. Um, and then you just practice um, maybe clarifying a little bit better next time, always in a polite way. Practice being mm-hmm. a good receiver, no matter what you get. Um, but just, yeah, recognizing and being thankful for whatever people are able to do for you. Mm-hmm. That's true, because people are probably offering out of what they know how to do really well. Yeah. Or what they like, what helps them, right? They're like, well, this helped me so much when I had a baby and that's great. But if you're really close, you can say, oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad that helped you. You know, what would really help me Um, like Mm -hmm. that or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually have in my notes too, something similar is like, you know, we're talking about like asking for help from other people but this also feeds into like knowing how to help yourself yeah, yeah. a little bit too <laughs> yeah um and I would say that that's part of that knowing yeah. yourself knowing your preferences knowing your own triggers yes. like um what is it that's going to help you in the long run like what you were saying like is it the is it the clean house that mm-hmm. you need help with or is it um a little bit of child mining or a friend to just sit and talk with you on your couch in your messy house. You're just like, I just actually want you to come over and look at me and all my postpartumness and just be there. Like what do Mm -hmm. you, what makes you actually feel better in that moment and then ask for it? Yeah, exactly. And I like too, that we talked earlier in the episode about perspective Mm -hmm. and expectations and standards, because I think this is another way that we can like not only help ourselves, but help others help us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Is that when we do keep those realistic perspectives and expectations, then we can be flexible, like what you're saying, right? Like in terms of our, our expectations, for example, sometimes our days and weeks are going to be really ideal. Yeah. And we'll just coast on by and it's awesome and we need to enjoy those times. Yeah. Um, other days and weeks, it will feel like even our greatest efforts are not enough. Yeah. <laughs> and that that's going to help to cut ourselves some slack. And I think that when we're cutting ourselves slack, then when someone else pops up and says, hey, can I help you with something? 
Um, it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? Yep. <laughs> like it's one of those <laughs> it's weeks. It's one of those weeks. Yeah. <laughs> All hands on deck, come on over. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. But we're not like so tightly um, trying to hold on to what should be. Yes. Uh, and it makes a, it really, really hard not like to let alone accept help, but then to even ask for it is almost out of the question in that kind of way. So yeah, all of it coming down to just perspective. And Mm -hmm. um, that was actually just the last thing I have right here is that we've talked before about like anytime that there's something new in particular in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And it could be like a new baby. It could be even just trying to like um, adopt a new fitness routine Mm -hmm. or you started homeschooling or um, you want to like up your chores or you have a big decluttering plan on your list you want to do in the house to like have the perspective that this new thing is going to take some time to learn. So there there are other areas that are going to start lacking a little bit and that that's natural and either you can ask for help to maintain those levels or you can just have the perspective that you'll pick up again when you can yeah um but just I think all of this is just the acknowledgement that once again to bring it right back to the beginning that you know it's very difficult if not impossible to do it all yeah you probably can't and so what are you going to choose like, is it going to be a perspective and a mind shift? Is it going to be asking for help? Is it going to be a- accepting help? Um, there are some options available to you. We just have to be uh, humble enough to see them and then go for one. Yeah. And to be clear about it. And I want to talk, oh, we addressed mothers-in-law and, and our mothers. Um, but I think the other person that sometimes is like a, a silent victim and all this is our husbands, um, our very sweet mm. husbands who sometimes really get lost in the middle of all this. And we expect that they just know, you know, we expect mm. that they can just walk in the door and pick up on the cues of how the day went <laughs> and they walk in the door and they've missed us so much. And I've heard mm. this from husband after husband, after husband, they aren't walking in thinking about all the things um, that could have happened that day. They just want to see us and the kids. And if we I don't, I'm really against the idea of like playing mind games with our husbands and like trying to make mm. them guess at what they need to do to help us and then holding them to an, um, an unattainable standard um, of what they should be doing for us too. So I just wanted to say that to you, be gracious with your husband. I really believe almost every husband out there really does want to help because frankly, it makes their life easier <laughs> if you're in a better <laughs> mood. <laughs> so they want to help. They just honestly, they don't think like we do. They don't know where to start. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think that, again, if we think about how many times we've maybe burned them in the past when they've tried to help and we're like, that wasn't the right way. And maybe, again, maybe I'm just speaking about me. Um, And so then they they think too, like, why even bother? And now not only am I thinking about how my my daughter's going to ask for help one day, I look at my sons and I wonder how are they going to help their wives? What are they seeing um, in that as well? What lessons are they learning? So be really clear to everybody, but especially your husband he really really wants you to have a great day trust me mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good point so the last thing if you're still having trouble even after all of this thinking okay I've got to ask for help I just don't know if I can if nothing else here works know that you are giving the other person a chance to perform an act of service an act of charity, a corporal act of mercy, that if, if, if that's the last thing that you, you know, you can do to squash down your pride is go, I'm giving this as a gift to somebody else that they can feel like they're doing this, you know, wonderful thing for me, then, then that is a wonderful thing to do. This is drilled into Christian women culture, you know, and to our Catholic friendships. Um, we all want to give these acts of service to each other. It's talked about Mm. all the time where we want to be able to do this. Um, and so like with so many of the women who we shared what they'd said, so many of them have pointed out that people really do want to help. Um, and, mm-hmm. and they, they just need a little bit of direction. They need to feel that, um, that their help, that their efforts will be appreciated. Um, you know, cause they're going to go out of their way sometimes to help you and give their time and skills. But yeah, it is a wonderful opportunity to allow someone else to do this little act of service for you. 
So when we said at the beginning of this episode that this was truly going to feel simply like an off-the-cuff conversation mm-hmm. <laughs> between friends and amongst friends, I think you can we can all see now how that was really true. <laughs> but actually, what is really amazing is that we had so much feedback yeah. from our friends on, on Instagram, and it really, that is exactly what it was today, because I think this need for help and this desire to be able to ask for it is really universal and it has been present all throughout history and so even though circumstances change this need that we have doesn't seem to change or go away and it will only help us and help our families and help strengthen our relationships and communities if we start to be really aware of what it is we need help with how we can ask for it and then actually going to do it. It's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So, Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? I'm just realizing how emotional this is, just piggybacking off of our emotional episode. <laughs> um, it, they kind of go hand in hand. So um, I'm going to share this Instagram account. It's not going to be news to you, Michelle. And I think a lot of mm. our listeners have probably come across it as well. But I just can't get over how incredible the work of artists Jess over at Salt and Gold Collection on Instagram Mm. is. So if her name Mm -hmm. isn't familiar to you right off the bat, um, I think that everyone listening will have seen at least one of her creations over the last two months. So back in February, Jess shared the first of her Jesus foot washing series. And she burst onto the scene with a bang. Um, If you haven't seen her work, they're beautiful illustrations that depict Jesus washing the feet of different people. People you might not expect. People you might not like. People you might not have considered that Jesus would wash the feet of. Now, Mm -hmm. Jess is in Australia, um, but her first creation, after a Valentine's Day one she did, was perfectly timed during the truck convoy mandate protests here in Ottawa. Her image stopped me and tens of thousands of people in their tracks. Now, the first person on the stool having their feet washed by Jesus is a person with a no vax mandates protest sign. But then you swipe and you see the next person on the stool has a pro vax sign. And then finally you swipe again and you see a police officer hunched over head and hands, looking exhausted and distraught, tired and conflicted by their work at these protests. And my goodness, it took my breath away. Mm-hmm. Um, just continued on with this series and ruffled a lot of feathers with images of Donald Trump on the stool, Joe Biden on the stool, a prisoner, the Pope, a mother from Ukraine, and a soldier who looks eerily similar to Putin on the stool, having their feet washed. You will see celebrities on the stool, a tired nurse, someone so crippled by their depression, they're in black and white and an otherwise colored image. And then you swipe and you see that their body is returning to color where Jesus's hand touches them. Now, one image stands out, and that's saying a lot because they all stand out, but it's of a pretty young woman with her phone in her hands. She's staring at her phone as Jesus washes her feet. You swipe and see that she's taking a photo of Jesus washing her feet and that she's posting it to Instagram. Jess always writes thought-provoking captions to go along with her images, and for this one, she wrote, My heart sinks when I wonder how many times I've missed out on a moment with Jesus because I've been recording the moment for someone else to appreciate. She goes on, and here's the really heartbreaking thing. Because he is so faithful, always eager for a relationship with me, even in the moments when my eyes have been glued to my phone, thinking I'll find him there on the follows or in the likes or in someone else's inspirational Instagram caption, he's been washing my feet the whole time. I have the kind of God who would die for me, even if I wasn't paying attention. Jess's work is groundbreaking, original, eye-opening, heart-wrenching, and deeply edifying. If you haven't yet taken the time to scroll through scroll through, and meditate on her images and words, please head right over to at Salt and Gold Collection. And better yet, purchase a print or a set of prints from her. The link to her shop is in her bio on Instagram. Mm. I have seen her posts. I, do, I follow her on, mm-hmm. on Instagram since she started posting those series, and they are so... Uh, thought-provoking and powerful and really needed but I actually I didn't know that you could buy prints Mm -hmm. and so actually that sounds awesome to have a select uh, amount of prints from that collection in key areas of your house little reminders 
um, throughout your day to remember the reality of things. Um, I saw that she had shared somebody had bought them in like playing card size almost or like regular photo size, not big prints. Mm. And they put, had a little wooden stand and they just cycled through them on their kitchen counter so that every time you walked into wow. your kitchen, you prayed for whoever was on the stool. And that reminds me, sorry, she did an empty stool. Did you see the empty stool? Yes. Where, where yep. it wasn't the one... Um, yeah, where she said, you know who you want on that stool. You want me to put them on that stool, but I don't have to because you can put them on that stool yourself in your head that makes you uncomfortable. Who is it that makes you uncomfortable to think about Jesus washing their feet mm. and you put them there and you pray for them? Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> she's doing God's work, truly. And she's so yeah. nice. I've spoken with her a few times and um, she's always, I think, on edge waiting for somebody to fight with her. But it's just been such a great response. Honestly, it's that has been a catechesis for me in understanding who Jesus is better than almost anything else I've encountered. So at mm -hmm. Salt and Gold Collection. Yeah, please check it out. So, Michelle, what have mm -hmm. you been loving this week? Mm hmm. Oh, this is another turn. I wish I had something really meaningful. <laughs> but I'm going to recommend, or what I've been loving this week is the new um, movie Death on the Nile. Oh, yes, yes. Which is a, yeah, which is an adaptation of the Agatha Christie novel, which she wrote in 1937. So, you know, I love a good Agatha Christie novel, mm -hmm. as I'm sure you do as well. Many of our mm -hmm. listeners would as well. Um, and Then There Were None, I think, is my favorite. Mm -hmm. But I've actually never read uh, Death on the Nile. Uh, it takes place during a couple's idyllic honeymoon, which is on a private river cruise down the Nile River. Uh, given this is an Agatha Christie storyline, someone obviously winds <laughs> up dead. Um, oh, and it's in and the title. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also... <laughs> dead giveaway <laughs> right there <laughs> um and what ensues is a suspenseful search for the murderer among the wedding guests mm. uh it's especially suspenseful because no one can leave the boat and they all know that there is a murderer among them so there were two things that i loved in particular about this movie the first is that it's just classic Agatha Christie. Um, it's been a while since I've read any of her books, and I'd forgotten how much I enjoy her character development in particular. Uh, just the style of introducing a dozen or so characters and slowly revealing their personalities, their lives, their relationships uh, is really engaging. And I think it's one of the things that makes her such a good mystery writer is that you really do start to think that you can crack the case. Mm. <laughs> right alongside, in this case, Hercule Poirot. Uh, the other thing I really loved about this movie specifically is the set and the costume design. Um, it really is meant to be a display of wealth and luxury in the late 1930s. Uh, it has a very clear like art deco style. Uh, so it's very visually appealing. And it's not really a time period that we see a whole lot in modern movies. So it was really fun to indulge in the design while, while I was watching. So yeah, the Death on the Nile uh, movie, Kenneth Branagh playing Poirot. His mustache is a little bit toned down in this one from his <laughs> uh, Murder on the Orion, Orient Express <laughs> debut. Um, and yeah, it was just a lot of fun. So I would recommend that one. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time.